This is Become an Unstoppable Woman podcast with Lindsay Preston, episode 102, Overcoming Trauma. Welcome to the Become an Unstoppable Woman podcast, the show for goal-getting, fear-facing women who are kicking ass by creating change. I'm your host, Lindsay Preston. I'm a wife, mom of two, and a multi-certified life coach to women all over the world. I've lived through enough in life to know that easier doesn't always equate to better. We can't fear the fire, we must learn to become it. And on this show, I'll teach you how to do just that. So join me as I challenge you to become even more of the strong, resilient, and powerful woman you are meant to be. Let's do this. Miss Unstoppable, welcome to a very special episode of the show. On it, I am interviewing author Birdie Lynn. She recently wrote a book called Through the Storm of Early Trauma, Healing and Overcoming. And I read Birdie's book from cover to cover in one sitting. I couldn't put it down. I've never done that before. Now, granted, it's not a super long book, but her story is one that, my goodness, this woman has overcome a lot of trauma. And she only goes up until when she's graduating high school in this book. She's going to put out a second part of the book that details her life after high school. She was physically abused as a child, mentally abused as a child, sexually abused in high school. Oh my goodness, just so many things she's had to overcome. And Birdie's my age. I think she's like 37, so a year older than me. And as I'm reading the book, I found out she actually grew up right across the metro from me. So I grew up in about an hour away from her. And yet our community experience was very different. Um, She lived in a part where there was a lot of violence. And she talks about that in her book too and what she's had to witness. And Birdie is also a black woman. And she talks about in her book the racism she's had to experience, especially when she moved from Texas where she lived in a primarily black neighborhood to Oregon, where she was one of the very few black people in her entire school and community. So Birdie's story really inspired me. Um, I knew just even when I saw her, her energy before I even read her book that I wanted to bring her on the show. And I'm very picky about who I bring on the show, y'all. That's why I don't have a ton of guests anymore. And I have a lot of people that reach out to me. And usually I say no to almost everybody who reaches out to me. Um, I usually go and I handpick people for the show. And Birdie was one that I handpicked. Because again, I just think hearing her story, you are going to um, realize like how much you can overcome. And we don't get into the details of her story in this interview because I feel like you need to go get the book for that and pick it up and hear what she's overcome between um, her dad and her older sister abusing her and and things in high school that happened to her. Um, but we do talk about overall, like, how did you overcome this sort of trauma? And what was it like to experience racism? And so we're going there. And what's so interesting is Birdie is obviously not a client of mine. She's not familiar with any of my work, especially at the end of this interview. She's like, well, let's see, what do you do? Like, she doesn't know any of my stuff. 
But what's so cool is that as she's telling her story, I'm tying it back to the things that I have taught you here on the podcast, especially if you're a client of mine, of like, okay, here I hear you saying you found your authenticity and this is where you went next with this. And and she's she's done all the steps I've taught you, but she's done it in a way where she's found her own truth. And so that's why I think a lot of the things I'm teaching you on the podcast is just the process of life, really, like the universal truths that we experience. And, and so it's so neat to me that um, she has gone through, in essence, some of this work in uh, finding her authentic self and speaking her truth and doing all that stuff. So, you know, Birdie um, gives a lot of great nuggets on this. Some of my favorite nuggets, I must admit, are near the end of the interview where we talk about her being unapologetically black. She, You could tell she just really came alive talking about that. So sit back, listen. This is a very chill interview. Um, and we're just talking about overcoming trauma in it. And I hope it inspires you and it allows you to see that if Birdie can overcome some of the this trauma in her life, um, then you can absolutely overcome your own trauma too. And again, I highly, highly suggest you support this woman and go get her book. The link is in the show notes and you can find her book on Amazon too. Again, it's called Through the Storm of Early Trauma. But here she is, Birdie. So excited to have you on the show. I told all the listeners a bit about you and how I read your book from cover to cover and I couldn't put it down. Um, and they know that you've experienced trauma in your life, obviously. So can you just kind of walk us through before we even get into how you process that and some of the details of your book, what it's like to just put a book out in the world like this to share your story? How has that felt? Oh, what is it like to put a book out like this? Um, it's very scary. They're wrecking. You know, I processed and went through a lot of emotions um, all the way, you know, through even to the very point where the day before the reason, like, can we just like not like <laughs> we push it back a little bit and like um, and I just I mean, I there was a lot of anxiety even like prior to the night before Um and, and then I just had to like, let it go. Once it was out, it was like, okay, <laughs> it's out. And I hope that, um, you know, people are inspired. Yeah. I mean, we talk often on my show about speaking your truth mm-hmm. and how that's not easy and how, what comes up with that. And so when I read your book, I'm like, man, this is a woman who is speaking her truth. Yeah. <laughs> So we all know how that feels, but it's it's good to hear that yeah. you are still feeling it even yeah. on the day before the release. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, it's not it's not easy. Yeah, how do you feel now that the book's been out for a few weeks? Um, actually, people have been reaching out to me, and it's made me feel a hundred percent better. Um, you know, to see the reviews on Amazon, um, people have emailed me. Um, you know, they've pinged me on my social media and it's really changed, you know, my life to know that because I was, um, vulnerable and I wasn't surface level vulnerable, I was deeply rooted in my vulnerability to share a very cathartic moment process that was happening for me in my life. As I put this down on paper that it, it just, 
it made me feel good. And it made me feel good that I was able to inspire others. And um, also to hear of a lot of people who were like, hey, we have similar stories. Yeah. Yeah. So with that said, Marty, how have you been able to process all of this trauma? Um, you well, mentioned earlier before you had a, you had a therapist, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's taken some years. It's, it hasn't been like an easy process, but it took years because I would relapse. So basically, um, you know, hey, I admit I'm hurting. I'm, you know, I, I'm depressed. Um, you know, I'm struggling emotionally. And, and I would recognize it and I would acknowledge and accept it that I needed help. Um, but then when it came to try to understand the source and where it was coming from and to confront it, I would completely fear would stop that. And I'd go back to, <laughs> I don't have a problem. <laughs> mm, yeah. So it's, a, it's, a, it's a vicious cycle for sure. Yeah. So what I hear is every level is like almost, I would say new level, new devil. It's like you hit a yeah. new level and you're like, oh, what's this? <laughs> yeah. I, I want to avoid it. But then you realize right. you have to deal with it, right? Yeah, you try to, I know for me, I tried to compartmentalize it. Um, so I tried to just push it back. Um, and, you know, it's, hey, things like this happen. Keep moving. You're fine. Just move forward. Don't be a baby about it. Like all these things I would tell myself instead of letting me feel those emotions and really face them, I ran from them. Yeah. Yeah. We have to feel our way through it yeah. as crappy as it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So the next question I want to ask you is you said in your book, you were used to like turning it on outside of your house. Yes. So like you'd go out in the world and they knew you as a certain person and you were achieving pretty well for the most part. Yeah. Especially like in your track career and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but then nobody quite knew what you were dealing with at home. Yeah. And so, so many of my clients and listeners can relate to that of like being one version of yourself and then being another one at home and people not knowing how to deal with those demons. So Mm -hmm. how have you processed this and how have you kind of integrated you just being you now and being authentically you? For sure. Um, I want to clarify. So there's still a difference. Um, Like I have my authentic self right? That I I am unapologetically authentic up to who I am. And so I always, it was funny when Beyonce came out with this song, um, Flaws and All. um, I was like, oh, that's me, you know, because I have all these different (laughs) sides of me that make me party. Um, And so when I go to work and in my my career, my profession, I am authentic to who I am, but I just, I'm not as relaxed to where I would be like at home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I wanted to, to just clarify that because a lot of people take it to where like, oh yeah, when you go to work, you're like this. No, you have to like step up a notch. And <laughs> when you get home, you can actually relax and you can, you know, wear your curlers in your hair and eat bonbons and watch movies. <laughs> but, but um I man, I learned like to to kind of turn it on from a young, uh, like a, a young age, my dad was a minister. And so it was just like, I had to, um, always mind my manners, um, 
sit properly, straight up, eat right, like all these things. And I just, man, I just want to just eat with my mouth full, you know, like talk with my mouth full and just be me. Um, but of course, I understand like this is just normal etiquette, but then also just having to, you know, watch how I talk. I can't talk back. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Yes, sir. No, sir. Um, all of these things that, you know, you try to teach, you know, as a child, your parents want to teach you, but it was just like to the 10th power, right? Um, it was just this pressure of, um, I guess, just like a pressure of always having to be perfect, um, you know, as, as a child. And then, um, you know, going into adulthood and being a, a woman, it was the same type of pressure. So um, at least that I felt. So for an employer to set, to tell me, you know, all your personal life is, you know, leave your personal life at the door and, you know, come in and perform. Well, if, if you're per- for me, it actually was a source of escape because I was able to okay, great. I can do that. Cause I'm used to doing it. Right. And so I go in and I just forget about my personal life and I just dove head in for my career life and achieved all these good things. But as soon as I leave and go home, um, I'd have to face what I was avoiding. And so I can't work 24 hours a day. <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, it was, it's, it's that being authentic to who you are, and pushing past that, um, I guess, I don't know what the right word for it, but pushing past, um, you know, being, um, not being authentic, but being on and really just putting up a um, facade of everything's okay. Smiling all the time. Hey, yeah, everyone likes you. Um, but really you're hurting inside because your uh, significant other just beat you. And you had to cover it up with makeup and go into work. You know, that's yeah. not really the life. And I mentioned that because um, in part two, I'll talk about that. That happened to me. Yeah. I mean, it goes, what I hear again, Birdie, is, you know, we grow up so often as like, we don't feel we're just these good girls. We go and do these things and we are like little robots. And yeah. even when we get to the professional world, again, it's like, you know, same materials, like leave your personal life at the door. But then we go home and it's like, oh, yeah, here are these feelings again that I have to deal with. And you have to feel your way through that, which and that's why so many of us, especially like that had childhoods like that overwork. Yeah, it's like, oh, I'll go escape my problems with working. Yeah. So it's so interesting, Bertie, because you're you're not that familiar with my work. But as you're talking through your story, it's like (laughs) everyone's like, yeah, this is like all the same thing we all have to go through. Yeah, we go through it in different ways. So cool. Um. Okay, what do I want to ask you next? Um, you ready for this one? Yes. <laughs> ready. How did your family feel about your book? Mm, yeah. So that's <laughs> um, I had conversations with all of them. And um, you know, I that's still a work in progress. Um, you know, I, I think that there's some embarrassment, there's some, um, just, why couldn't you just tell me this, 
um, instead of putting it out, you know, for the world to see. All valid emotions, um, and I acknowledge them and respect them. But the truth of the matter is um, that there, you know, there are some things that need to be dealt with, um, you know, with, um, it's especially my dad. I'm just going to call it out with my dad. I love my mom. There was nothing there. Um, of course, she's, you know, said that um, it had to come to that. But, um, it, you know, I just praying on me and my dad's relationship. And um, my older sister, we have a really great relationship. Again, there's some embarrassment there, but we, you know, we had moved forward um, a while back um, on this, but I shared to her that the importance of me just kind of healing and getting this out there so that others who went through the same thing that I went through could actually know that they weren't alone and to be helped. And, you know, she was you know, all for it, but of course there's that you know, human side of it where she's, you know, very um, uh, emotional about it uh, just because yeah. of the embarrassment and that those things happen. Yeah. I mean, that's what makes your story so brave is to put it out there. I mean, we all feel that putting out our story, but I mean, I feel like yours is next level because you put it in a book and there were some things that it doesn't, you can't sugarcoat it, right? It is what it is. Yeah. So major claps to you, Birdie. Um, okay. So I have another random question. <laughs> These are all the questions I had while I was reading it. One thing you mentioned in your book, this is when Big Sis moved out, is, is in essence that you knew what your experience was with your father. Like nobody could talk you out of your truth anymore. Because you remember when she moved out, you had like that moment of like, okay, this, this is messed up was really kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so in essence, you saw how you were being almost like gaslit often. Do you know that term? Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, and I think so many of us are experiencing forms of gaslighting in everyday life from the media to people in power and in our personal lives. Mm -hmm. So can you start to recognize now when you're being gaslit and talked out of your truth? And, and then how do you, how does that feel to you and how do you overcome that? Absolutely. And um, I notice it just in dating and relationships, you know, when it happens there um, and with employers, like um, that when I was working, of course, for someone else, <laughs> I would notice it, you know, with uh, certain managers. So like, I think that like now, like what I do is for me, I'm, I'm being authentic to who I am. And so when I recognize the bigger picture of what's going on, I either have two choices that I could either choose to see it, like explore it and what, you know, what's happening. Of course, if it's, if it's not harming or it's not harmful or something like that, like if it was harmful to my, myself or my child, then of course, no, I would immediately call it out um, and speak on it. But I think, um, like now I literally, I just, I kind of, I have a choice to whether I, I'll deal with it or I'll call it out for what it is. And I, I can tell you, I don't, I, I have very few friends. I have about what I can count on my hands of who I trust. And 
Um, I don't keep a large circle just because a lot of people don't like that I could be just real blunt and and call them out for what what they're saying or doing. Yeah. Again, Birdie, like you know how to speak your truth. I mean, this is like <laughs> what you're starting to master so well and you've mastered is like, I'm not putting up with that. And that's like one of the, the blessings maybe of experiencing it is like now you can see it for what it is. Yes. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, I want to highlight this because many times we don't think we're as powerful as we are, but there are a couple of people you mentioned in your book that really made a difference in your life, like Nikki and D, right? Yeah. Um, so can you just speak more about the impact and give words of encouragement to everyone listening about how they can be impactful? Yeah. Um, well, when you say, when you say that meaning about those people or just, yeah, I mean, because I know Nikki and D, they, they like changed so much of your sense of self. It sounded like, um, and so just speak about a little bit about that. Cause I feel like people need to read the book to really get the depth of it, but yeah. Um, yeah, just, just giving words of encouragement to, to realize how big of a power they've played in your life and how we can all have that power. Yeah. So one of the things that like the very first, um, person was Sequoia and that was, she was in middle school. I'm so thankful for the opportunity from above for, for God to allow me to still be here and for her to be there for me in that moment, right after um, I tried to commit suicide. The reason why is because if I was successful in committing suicide, then I never would have the opportunity to meet Sequoia and understand that there was someone in my corner. There was someone who, although it couldn't truly like relate to all the things I was going through, could definitely still love me anyhow and be there for me. And Sequoia showered me with love, acceptance, validation, everything that I needed in that moment and thereafter um, to feel as though I existed, to feel as though I'm here for a reason. Um, and so the love and the friendship that she showered on me really gave me life and helped me to understand a little bit more of who I was. And then when me and Tequoia went to separate high schools, well, now I'm at a high school all by myself and um, Nikki, Nikki was there and she was like an angel. <laughs> um, she was there for me. Um, and she helped me. She was like, she was like the most popular girl in school, but I had learned that my older sister had been there for her when she was getting bullied. Um, uh, in her, like the, she was a senior that year that I was a freshman. So like in her sophomore, uh, freshman, sophomore year, she was kind of bullied a little bit and my sister protected her. And so she kind of sought me out and, um, just took me under her wing and, um, helped me with, um, you know, student council and just gave me that, that life and that energy once again, all positive, um, to just push towards success. So I love Tequoia and Nikki for that. Um, I, in the times that I needed them most, um, that they were there and, you know, rest in peace to her, um, to Nikki, she was murdered. Um, and her, the person that murdered her since he was on death row and they have since, um, have 
what do you call that when they <laughs> yeah not he's not he's, living he's not living yeah. <laughs> so yeah. but he yeah he um you know it, it was tragic because I received a letter from her with pictures and everything and um she was always still encouraging me I didn't know that was the last letter that I would receive and so it had bothered me for the rest of that that year um or two after until I, my senior year that I was just like well, you know maybe she's just forgotten about me maybe she's just too caught up in college life like oh my god and and then when I learned what happened to her my senior year after I had ran back to away to Texas, um, I was devastated. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah. those two, those two um, girls really helped, helped me. And if I could give anybody any advice, no matter how old you are, um, having um, a mentor or having opening up to a friend around you, you know, even getting counseling, um, the school counselor is there, you know, for, for you, if you don't have, you know, um, friends or people who are paying attention, you know, suicide is never the answer. And I just encourage people to be honest and, and truthful enough with themselves to know, like, they can't, they can't do it by themselves. Mm-hmm. And I, I, um, I'm so thankful that I, I opened up to Tequoia and to Nikki. Yeah. Well, and I think what's so important about that is if I'm re- looking at the story, like Dequoia, she was just, she was there at the right person, right time, had the right message. It's not like she went over the top with it, but you needed it so much in that moment. Yeah. And that was like, like you said, it was like, oh, people can love me. There is hope almost. And then Nikki gave you even more of that. And then later, you know, D like mm-hmm. you love in a different way too. And I was like, oh, it's so great. You had those people in your life. To show you a different way of love and granted they may have known a little bit of what you were dealing with at home but they didn't know the full aspect of it and yeah. so I think it's just so powerful that they were able to provide you something that they didn't even know you really needed yeah. and all of us to just show up and be in a place to serve and and give because you never know who needs it it's yeah. so powerful yeah um okay two more questions for you okay, okay. <laughs> um, okay, so you talk about in your book about racism and how you experience racism. Um, and you said you experience over and covert racism. Can you define like how would you define the two for you? Um, okay, so we'll start with okay, so one of the things I recognize back then is, but I didn't know what to call it. Now I know what to call it, but I didn't know what to call it then. Um, there were two things that I experienced. One, I wondered why, why am I opening up, or why am I opening up brand new books, right? <laughs> um, and, you know, from like the food in the cafeteria was like Subway and like healthy choices um, at my new high school in, in Oregon to in Texas, um, you know, we had Taco Bell and, and unhealthy choices. <laughs> um, and then we had, you know, books falling apart that we were being, you know, issued, you know, 1980s, like people signing writing notes on it. Like it was like they didn't care. And so I was just like, what is this difference and why? And why did we have metal detectors in my other school 
And, you know, yeah, they, you know, maybe there were, there were, you know, a few bad kids that, you know, were trying to bring like weed onto campus, but they're selling full on cocaine out of lockers <laughs> in my high school in Oregon. And they have no dog sniffing, no metal detectors. They're bringing knives, they're bringing guns. And I'm like, something's not right. And so I just didn't like the institutional difference. Um, and I feel like institutional racism <laughs> um, right. just, you know, was right before my eyes there that kind of opened up my eyes. And then when I was in Texas and, you, you know, I was, I mean, besides being bullied and going through all of that, what I was going through, not once do I ever remember um, being made to feel bad because I was a black girl, not ever. And so when I went to Oregon, then that was just one more thing. I'm like, okay, great. Not being bullied about, you know, uh, not having the best clothes or having big, you know, photo or glass lenses or anything like that. Now I'm being bullied and called the N-word and because of the color of my skin, because it's a problem with the fact that I'm black. And I think that um, that experience alone had me really face um, the, the, I guess, face the thought of racism. First of all, there's nothing that I can do. I'm unapologetically a black young girl. I can't change this. <laughs> I can't change it no matter you know, I would never want to change being black. Okay. But when I was being bullied for like having big bifocal glasses, you can change that. I could get contacts, you know, I could beg my parents for that. I could save money, like holes in my shoes and things like you can, that's all changeable, but not the color of my skin. And so I was mad because it was something that I couldn't change. It was something that I couldn't beg my parents to change, you know, it's something that was a part of me and it's who I was. So I think that, um, you know, it really, it really angered me um, more or less um, because I, I just, I didn't understand it and I didn't understand where the hate was coming from, um, you know, from a, a teacher to the, the, the students. Um, I wasn't accepted. Mm -hmm. And so I had to figure out because my, my, my dad at the time was so involved in his church that he just didn't really give much attention to what was going on with his girls trying to get in and, you know, fit into to school. And so I had to figure out like, okay, how am I going to face this? And you know, eventually I stood up for myself and I stood up for being a young black girl and um, stood up for being black. Um, there's, there's absolutely, I thought it was just insanity that someone would, you know, and kids would, would treat me a certain way for something that I can't not fix and that I was born with. And I stood up to it. Yeah. And you delivered this poem, which is like one of my favorite moments in the book. I like read that poem over. I even have it flagged, Birdie. It's like my favorite part in the whole book. I am here. I'm like, oh my gosh, a girl wrote this. It's so freaking good. Um, and so in it, you talk about being happily, proudly, and unapologetically black. So I want to end with that. Like, what does that mean to you? Yeah. I mean, being, for me, like, being Black is everything. Like, it's my whole life makeup, right? I can't change it. I'm unapologetically Black. And um, I think it, 
it's the same for, you know, if you, you're, you're a white woman, like you're unapologetically a white woman. Right. <laughs> and the same thing for an Asian and, you know, just Hispanic, just like we're all human. Right. And so for me, um, it just means um, being a part of the black culture. Um, I'm excited, you know, for, for my culture and to be a part of the human race. Um, being black, there are some history there, um, you know, very sad and rich history. Um, but it's embracing all of it. And when I embrace all of the history, um, you know, that exists because of the color of my skin, then I'm embracing me and I'm loving me. And, you know, essentially I'm passing down a culture to my child. And I will say not only am I black, but I had to ask my mom, why did she check black? Because um, I am actually black and native Indian. <laughs> so I have Cherokee, Chickasaw and black uh, feet um, on top of black. So my mom's full-blooded Indian and my dad is black, but she, it was just easier for her to just check black instead of trying to find <laughs> So I embrace all my culture. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Bernie, when I hear your story, I think this is a woman who has just fallen in love with herself, despite the people who you do turn to, to look for love, not giving it to you. So you had to overcome that. And then in that process of falling in love with, falling in love with yourself, then it's like, okay, I love myself so much. I'm going to speak my truth now. And no matter what anybody says about it, I know I can come back to me because I love myself so deeply. Is that how it feels? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, you're a very spiritual person. And so going back to God too, and having that different relationship, because you talk about in your book, the church and how you saw some of the, I don't know what you want to call it. Not so great things. Um, Yeah. yeah, So it sounds like you've come and had a relationship with God now that feels really good to you. Yeah, I do. And one thing that I was really nervous about is I wanted to put my thoughts out there, Um, especially, um, you know, I didn't know how the black church would receive it um, or church, period, because my dad was Southern Southern, Southern Baptist, Southern Baptist. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, you know, I I didn't know how it would be received. But yeah, I went through, you know, I went through a, a lot just seeing the you know, the other side of, of church and behind the scenes. And I didn't agree with it or like it. So I didn't want to be a part of that for a very long time. Um, Cause I felt like I'm a bunch of hypocrites, but they have nothing to do with my personal relationship with God. So I had to eventually realize that. Um, but those are some very real feelings that I wanted to put out there because a lot of pastors need to understand that the way they raise their children has to be, it, it just has to be normal. You, you can't make them different. They're not perfect. Neither are, is a pastor. And so although you have people looking up to you, you're just, you know, it's like if you're in the position of like a manager, right? Met or a leader, I'd, I'd say a leader. When you're leading people and they're following, okay, great. You continue to set an example, but it doesn't mean that you have to set a perfect example because that's why people are, you know, are, are following and they like you because you're authentic to who you are and you, you know, God has blessed you with wisdom. But to put that, <laughs> that pressure on your children, 
Um, very much so, yes. I put that in the book because they need to know church hurt is very real um, with a lot of people. Yeah, and I'm so glad you touched on that because as you're talking, I'm like, what what I hear her saying is like, they thought perfectionism was the ideal, but it's really authenticity is the ideal. Yes. And yes. you've realized that and you found that in your own truth, Bernie, which is so powerful. Um, so will you tell us where they can go find the book? And then you talk about a workbook you have now. So can you tell us about that? Yes. Um, so you can find the book on amazon.com. Um, we have paperback, hardback, audiobook, and an ebook. Um, and so that's on Amazon. And then on birdieland.com, which is um, B-Y-R-D-Y-L-Y-N-N.com. Um, you can find my workbook there. And there's tons of things in this workbook. Um, I don't know if you saw the baby pictures, pictures oh, where yeah, they put it. their thoughts. The colors. <laughs> Very colorful. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just, this is from my heart. Um, it's an embrace from me to the reader who wants to do a deeper dive and understand um, the process that I went, I, I took for myself, um, you know, and hopefully, like, um, if they have any questions, you can also reach out in the workbooks are going to are at the very back. I included a page where I would like sign it and and um, write a personal note. So. Oh, that's so awesome, Bertie. Thank you for sharing your story with us. And I hope everyone goes and gets your book. As I said, like, I couldn't put it down. I'm like, oh, my gosh, more. And I know you're putting out a part two. Yes. Um, cause we just get up to, I believe it was like the end of college, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, end of high school end or end of high school. Yeah, end of high school. Yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to know what happens next. So when's part two coming out? Part two, I am halfway through with that now. Um, I want you to realize, and then for all the readers to realize, like putting my thoughts, um, and my life out on paper is very cathartic. Um, it, it's a healing process for me as well. So on part two, um, you know, that I'm trying to get it out by the end of this year, but if not, it'll come out in 2022, but I'm just, it's been a journey so far with part two because, um, between counselors and lawyers and yeah. <laughs> dealing with, like you bring you it know, up for, and then you're like, Oh, here's some healing I need to do. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and it touches on me as a single mother, touches on me being homeless three times. It touches on me just, um, you know, you know, I worked in a strip club. There, there are a lot of things um, I had to go through, even um, the biggest, which is the biggest thing that I'm overcoming right now. Today, as we speak, I know you, you don't see the tears, you know, <laughs> you know, here. Um, me crying, but it's more or less um, having my son taken from me, um, you know, from uh, my my ex mother in law um, and and her and my ex husband, and what that was like, um, you know. So it, it, there's a, there's a lot there, and that's one of the reasons why I'm visiting with you know uh, an, an attorney to kind of help sort that out, um, so that people can know what to do when the system fails you because the system failed me. Um, and there are some things too, that I want to start pushing out towards Congress to change some laws. Um, so that the system doesn't continue to fail people as it failed me. Yeah. 
Oh my gosh, Bert, I can't wait to hear more. <laughs> but are you at a place now where life is like settled and you have to be to put this in the world? Cause that takes a lot of your nervous system, but is life pretty good? Um, life is interesting. Life is funny. <laughs> it is very funny indeed, but I, um, to the place where I was able to get over my early childhood life, absolutely. Um, I'm on top of the world. Um, but just kind of dealing and sorting through my, you know, just adult lives and now taking on being the CEO of my property management company, my tech company. Um, I am, (laughs) I am enjoying those journeys. Yeah. (laughs) While still being a mom. (laughs) <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He is in college. I'm so proud of him. He's doing oh. good. He's got a B in calculus. So I was oh my gosh. Like, that is so good. You didn't get it from mommy. Oh my gosh. That's awesome. Well, thank you again, Birdie. Thank we you. all bow to you and, and you starting this way of speaking your truth. I mean, I just did an episode on this and like you are a living proof of it. So major props to you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Hey there, Miss Unstoppable. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode. If you enjoyed it, share it with a friend. Send them a picture of this episode via text, via email, share it on social media. I'm sure they would be so appreciative to know these strategies and tips on how to accomplish your dreams. If you are ready to guarantee you're going to accomplish your goals and dreams, then it's time to start coaching with me. In my nine-month simple success coaching system, I am going to walk you every single step of the way to ensure that you get the goals and dreams that you want. The first step is to apply for a free 60-minute consult call. Just go to lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-A-Y, epreston.com forward slash apply to get started. As always, my friend, remember... You're only as unstoppable as you believe you can be. So believe in yourself. You got this.